The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Let me introduce our speaker tonight. Uh, that she comes from uh, right here in Seattle, grew up here in Seattle, and has been connected to the stage and, and doing productions and, and drama throughout her life, though I would stop a little bit short of calling her a drama queen. Uh, she has been a part of that all of, of her life. Uh, it was one of the things that she studied here at the University of Washington, where she graduated last year. Uh, she was a member of uh, Delta 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 Tridelt Sorority. She was uh, the recruitment chair and over this past summer had the opportunity to uh, intern at uh, World Vision, uh, which which, of course, that's that's pretty cool. But one of the other things that, that she she did, uh, many of you um, are, are familiar with uh, our, our very own. It was Chris Sherman's wedding that you were the coordinator of. Right, Kelly? OK, day of coordinator. OK, well, check this out. Not I've done I've done like 50 weddings in my in my career and never had I worked with a wedding coordinator that actually timed out exactly how long it was going to take the wedding party to get from point A to point B. Seventy one seconds to parse this out. Just perfect. Some people call that obsessive. I might call it organized. I might even call it excellent. And I, I share that uh, both to uh, make fun of Kelly a little bit, but to say that it is that type of detail and that type of excellence that she uh, pursues relationship with. And I know that there are many in this room that have um, experienced that. She is also you men's most prolific tweeter. And uh, there's often where I find myself going, oh, man, I hope she's not totes and appropes in her words uh, over, over the Twitters. Uh, but she is definitely, uh, definitely our most prolific tweeter and somebody that, uh, as we were doing intern interviews uh, last spring, I was just thrilled to have come on our staff. You will find her, I'm sure, to be somebody who uh, is capable of thinking very, very deeply, uh, but I know her to be somebody that loves to have a good time as well. So enough of that. Let me introduce to you my friend, Kelly Toma. Let's give her a big warm welcome. out of here. All right. Um, thank you, Ryan. I do love to tweet. You can follow me if you'd like to. That'd be great. Um, wow. I am excited to be here. I'm going to step, step back from you. Um, I'm excited, but let me say also a little terrified. So just that five feet's really going to help me out. Um, I'm grateful that you're here the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. Uh, we have kind of a smaller crowd, but I'm happy about that. It's a little bit more intimate and, um, yeah, it's a busy time right now. I know a lot of people are trying to tie up loose ends before you go to Thanksgiving. So I'm just really appreciative. Thank you for being here. Um, well, five years, years ago, I was a freshman sorority girl sitting 
right over there at the inn um, with two of my sorority sisters and uh, listening to the message and just being moved by it every so so often and um, thinking about my life and yada, yada, yada. So for me, it's a little bit weird to be up here and now be giving that message and think, oh, I have to tell them something profound. But um, I'm hoping that you'll just stay awake is uh, one of my main goals and that I won't pee my pants. So two goals for the evening. Um, as Ryan said, I used to do a lot of drama and I used to be in plays. Um, I think this is one of my photos from high school, May 2006, it says in the bottom. I'm in the really hot uh, red tank top performing in Footloose. And so, yes, I used to do a lot of performances and get on stage. Um, but for me, this is a, just uh, a completely different experience. For you tonight, I don't um, get to be a character and deliver lines to you. Um, tonight, I get to be up here and talk to you about my faith something that's the most important to me. Um, tonight, I don't get to be the sorority rush chair up here smiling for you guys. Um, tonight, I just want us to think of that it's just you and me, talking about probably the most real and honest thing that we can talk about. Um, my goals tonight are not to entertain you, um, though, again, I do hope you won't fall asleep. My goals tonight don't include being fake or inauthentic about myself, though for some of us that may make this a lot more harder to receive or brutal. Tonight, I'm going to be up here sweating a lot, um, trying to remember what I'm going to say next, and um, I hope you will be too, yourself, not performing for your best friend sitting next to you, and not being like me three years ago, texting about what, I'm, what bar or where I'm going out that night uh, to your friend, which would be totally understandable since I did that. Um, so tonight, we will be talking a lot about God talking about the truths about God in many different aspects. And before we get started on God, I thought I could share with you some truths about me, since I'll probably never get to talk here at the end again, and so I thought I might as well lay it all out there. So I have for you five truths about Toma. All right, truth number one. Um, again, with the drama thing, uh, at UW I majored in medical anthropology and global health and also drama production. And so this is one show I got to do. It looks like a weird picture, but... It was a show called Big Love, nothing to do with the television show, um, that was about these uh, thrasher wives that got set up with their husbands and then they ended up killing them. Awful play. But it was really interesting because I was head of costume crew, and so my job every night was to clean blood off of 12 wedding dresses, which was really fun. Um, yeah, but both of my majors, long, fancy UW titles, basically just mean no job after college. So I'm glad to be here. Um, Slide number two. Uh, I had the awesome opportunity to go on four different mission trips while I was here at the inn over the last three, four years. And um, the best one by far for me was deputation. Um, I got to go to Ireland on my deputation experience, and for me that was the most amazing summer. Um, this is actually a picture of me in Scotland. We got to take our holiday there. So this is up on top of the castle, uh, the castle that J.K. Rowling based her Harry Potter Hogwarts castle off of, which I'm a nerd, so I love that. Um, next one. This uh, is a slide depicting that, yes, I was a tridel. We make this really silly symbol. I think there's some in the crowd tonight. And uh, this is me and four of my sorority sisters who got to go on the Cambodia spring break trip last spring break, which was amazing. Um, next. I absolutely love movies. For me, movies, I think too much. And uh, it's a way to relax or to fuel my creativity. So if you get nothing else out of these weird facts I'm giving you, write down these three movie titles. These are three of the best movies you will ever see. When Harry Met Sally, Tell Me You Don't Love It, 
Schindler's List, and It's a Wonderful Life. If you don't cry by the end of that movie, there's something wrong with you. Um, so yeah, those are my movies. And lastly, I wanted to tell you guys an embarrassing story. Since tonight is mission announcement night for spring break, uh, last spring break, I went to Cambodia, as I said, for the spring break trip. It was um, just one year we did it. And uh, one day we were taking a break from our mission trip and we decided to all go to um, the massage therapy place. And so we'd been pouring concrete for days on end. I see your Cambodia face right here laughing already. And um, so me and this girl, Lauren, and a bunch of the guys all went to... Um, this massage place, because in Southeast Asia, massages are extremely cheap. Like, here they're, what, upwards of $80, and you get your own private room, and you get to be with one massage therapist, and um, there, they're like $6, so we're like, why not? Let's go. So, me and Lauren are told to, in one room together, and um, there's six beds in that room, but they're like, thank goodness, at least they only put the two of us in this room, right? So, we're both in that room, and completely buck naked, laying on these beds um, with our massage therapist. And then, when we thought it couldn't get worse, um, the door opens, and four guys from the mission trip walk in while we're there getting our massages. So, stupid paper. Um, So, yeah, if you have a better, more embarrassing mission trip story, go ahead and tell me afterwards. But I promise that won't happen if you sign up for Dominican Republic or a deputation. It's just my favorite story. All right, great. Well, those were some silly... Uh, truths about me, and now um, I'd love to share with you some truths about me from or of my journey. Um, growing up, I'd like to think that I was a pretty cute kid. We have a little picture. This is me in my favorite place, Disneyland. Um, I think that I was a very cute, charismatic kid, and I always knew how to engage with adults pretty well. Not quite at this age, but a couple years later, and um, yeah. I always knew how to engage well with adults um, and make them like me. But for some reason, that was always harder for me with my peers um, or those just slightly older than me. I was always thinking, was I fun enough? Was I social enough? Was I enough like the cool kids? Even worse, was I good looking enough? Um, Why weren't my parents richer like Megan's so that I could go and buy all the Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister that I wanted? Uh, I realized for me it wasn't at all actually about the clothes now. It was that, from a very young age, I wanted to look like I had it all together. That in the fifth grade, my teachers would think that I was absolutely awesome and that they were jealous of me. I didn't care as much about my peers being as jealous of me, but just that maybe adults would want to be more like me. I wasn't perfect, but hoped that anyone who met me or knew me thought that I was pretty damn close to perfect. I often resented my family for not caring more. After all, they were a part of this image. Mom, you don't really need to come to this student-parent event because there's not going to be a lot of parents there and it would just be awkward. When in reality, it was because I hated the clothes my mom wore and because she was overweight. And then I would go to that event and judge other peers' parents. And then I would see other certain parents and be like, if only my parents were more like Katie's parents, then maybe I wouldn't be so embarrassed. For some of you, this might sound crazy and vain. That's probably because it is. But this was a part of my journey living with anxiety and false expectations from this world and what it can offer to the perfect people of this world. I was living in false assumptions of what I thought would be best for me. That if I could just be so freaking amazing, everything would be golden. Well, tonight, as we continue our series through the book of Acts, as we've been doing the last two weeks, 
I encourage you to just look at possibly where your own anxiety or expectations are in this world. Or just what in general is holding, holding you back from living a fuller life. Tonight we look at Acts 3, which shows just an amazing story of a man who was paralyzed from the waist down and the beautiful witness of redemption that comes out of that story. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, God, you live as, an, as a picture of the only thing that is perfect. Lord, me, we may try to live our lives being so many different characters and people that we think might get us ahead, when in reality, Lord, we are broken. We are just like the beggar in Acts 3. We live with our own infirmities and expectations. And I pray that tonight we might acknowledge those infirmities and realize our need to be healed. God, I pray no one here tonight feel judged, including myself. I pray we won't look at others or ourselves and put more shame or lies in our lives. We pray for your wisdom and for our listening ears. Amen. So tonight, if um, you have your Bibles, you can open them to Acts 3. We're going to take a quick look at the text. If you don't, um, a lot of the verses will be up on the screen for us. Um, Acts 3 is basically a chapter in two different parts. Uh, The first part is of the story of the beggar, the man who was paralyzed from the waist down, um, who would sit outside this temple each day of his life because he couldn't get up and beg for money from others. And then there's Peter. Peter, one of Jesus' BFFs, as I like to call him, a disciple, one of the twelve, was one of the people who was walking to the temple one day and crossed the path of this beggar. So naturally, the beggar asked Peter uh, for money um, when Peter walked by him. Now, Peter, I want you guys to remember, if you know him from the Gospels at all, was not always so mature and of great faith as he's about to be in this story. Peter was the one who betrayed Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. In all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it tells the story of Jesus being like, Peter, you're going to betray me. And Peter being like, heck no, I would never do that, Jesus. And then three times within the next 24 hours, three different people ask Jesus if he's associated with this Sorry, three different people ask Peter if he's associated with this Jesus character. And he says, no, I'm not with him. Have you ever done this? Your roommate's like, hey, where are you headed tonight? And you're like, oh, I'm just going to this thing. Rather than just having the balls to say you're going to church or the inn, you tiptoe around any words that might give you away. I've even done this with my talk tonight. I invited some of my sorority sisters, as I said, I'm in a sorority, um, and told them I was just giving this talk thing at the end tonight, not wanting them to know it was about faith or God, really, thinking that they might judge me. So back to Peter. Peter walks up to the beggar when he asks for money and says, we'll see verse 6. Acts 3, verse 6 says, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. If I was that beggar, I'd be like, are you freaking kidding me? Just give me a dollar. But then Peter grabs this man, pulls him off the floor, and he can walk. After God knows how many years, some random guy walks by this beggar, says one sentence, and he's cured. It says the man jumped when Peter pulled him up. Imagine sitting here like you are tonight, that you've been sitting there for 18, 19, 20 years in that exact same spot. And you're not able to walk, run, dance, anything. For myself, I think I'd feel in shock in that moment. 
But really thinking about this, I think about how I've never personally experienced such a tangible miracle in my life and how hard it is for me to believe this. I don't know about you, but I haven't experienced anything that insanely miraculous in my life before. I imagine that a few of you might be sitting there thinking, I've been living with this or that for my entire life, crying out to God to change it, and nothing changes. Maybe it's a mentally abusive father for you, an eating disorder you never really quite got rid of, an ex-boyfriend who only uses you for sex, who you just can't seem to stop sleeping with. For me, a year ago, um, my doctor recommended that I should possibly see a therapist. And I dealt with depression in high school and in college and didn't really ever deal with it. Um, But I was so sick of always having this upset stomach for so many years and not knowing what this stomach ache was. So finally last year, my senior year of college, um, my doctor tells me that she thinks it's possibly anxiety that's been causing these horrible stomach aches and that maybe I should try a therapist for it. Luckily, last year, um, I was a student leader here at the Inn and was in relationship with a lot of the staff and um, talked to Becky, one of the staff members, and she recommended a person that I could go see um, that would help me in anxiety. And she referred me to an awesome person who I've been seeing for the past year. For me, anxiety was paralyzing at times, just like the beggar, though to everyone else around me, I was great at hiding it. I was just maybe moody or distant sometimes. I was stuck in the pit of anxiety, and I didn't even know it. I wasn't moving, though oftentimes I thought life all around me was going pretty great. I was so into my own story that at many times it was hard for me to see that there was a bigger picture. That Peter, like God, was just trying to help me off the ground. I did get to see glimpses of this alternative story. Yes, of course, I grew up in a Christian family and was baptized and confirmed. But it wasn't until I went on my first mission trip, sophomore year, that God really opened my eyes up to see this bigger picture that I was missing. God showed up on my first mission trip like he does in the lives of so many people. Side note, if any of you were entertained at all by the idea during announcements of going to Dominican Republic or last week going to deputation, um, I urge you to do it. Um, For me, again... I say that those were some of the best experiences of my life. Not just because you get to see tangible suffering and poverty in a developing country, but um, I think that God has something special to show you in your time away there. He moves in you to show you that your story isn't the story that he wants for you. That he has something bigger and healthier for you out there. Anyway, I got to see a a glimpse of this on my mission trip, um, which has happened on every mission trip I've been on, and um, I've just grown so much on those trips, and especially deputation experience here at the end. Um, so Peter, like God, was trying to help, tried to pull this man off the ground to begin his new life, this new creation of himself that God had in store. Unlike this beggar, I didn't completely heal, but I feel that I did jump to my feet. Because of that, I think the last couple years, and even now have been a slow, grueling process, and sometimes I want to give up. Sometimes I want to be lazy because I see the people around me living their own stories, and it looks satisfying. Sometimes I want to go back to the glitter and glamour of life before I went on mission trips, times in which I later resented because they just wouldn't provide any lasting change. And I didn't understand why, if so many people were living that way. 
Then I would work hard. I would try my best till I dropped from exhaustion just to be seen as amazing and let people see how much glitz and glamour surrounded me through my personality and my achievements. I knew that people did respect that, and it made me happy whenever people acknowledged me for it. But in the long run, I wasn't happy by it. I was sad. Sad of how unfulfilling it all was. Author Sarah Young, author of my favorite daily devotional book, I highly recommend it, it's called Jesus Calling, um, describes this uh, thing I've been talking about um, in a much more eloquent way. The law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Not many Christians know how to live in this radical freedom, which is their birthright. I died to set you free. Live freely in me. Many voices proclaim, this is the way for you to go. But only my voice tells you the true way. If you follow the way of the world with all all its glitter and glamour, you will descend deeper and deeper into an abyss. If you listen to all those voices, you will become increasingly confused. Sarah, I feel like, called me out on this when I read it. And is saying, face up to reality. God isn't condemning you. You are condemning yourself. I think that that points to me that there's truths about God, the first ones for tonight, that God doesn't want us to suffer. He doesn't want us to live of this world. The glitz and glamour and stress and anxiety we put upon ourselves, or more often than not, other people put upon us. And God is for us, not against us. How often have we listened to people's praise for us and thought that that was the ultimate glory? Back to the story of Peter. After Peter heals this beggar, people are simply stunned, wouldn't you be, uh, as to how this happened. And Peter, rather than taking the credit and taking it for his own pleasure and success, immediately hands it off to God, not himself, knowing better. Peter describes to this crowd that just witnessed this miracle, that they were actually the ones who crucified Jesus. That it was that same crowd of people that just witnessed this miracle that sent Jesus to death. Let's look at the end of this chapter, verses 19 through 26. And this is what Peter says to the crowd. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. The times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each one of you from your wicked ways. That was a lot of text. I remember when I first was given this text to talk about, I had to read that at least five, six, seven times to even get a first grasp on it. Um, And so for me, um, when I see movies or different pictures or artistic things, it really helps for me to understand um, biblical stories or just um, heavy texts like this in general better. So I wanted to show a clip from, for me, a hilarious movie. It's kind of cheesy. But it also shows in a way kind of what Peter's talking about in a person. Um, Who here has seen Bruce Almighty? Anybody? Okay. Well, to set you up for this clip, 
And if you haven't seen it, the second one is of Bruce parting um, his tomato soup like the Red Seas, which I think is hilarious. Um, so if you haven't seen it, Jim Car- Carrey is the main character, and he plays Bruce. Um, Bruce is very mad at God, mostly mad that he doesn't think God is doing his job very well, which to me is funny because, first off, Bruce doesn't even really believe in God. But he still gets extremely angry with him. Angry he doesn't have a better car. Angry he doesn't get the better job. Angry that his girlfriend, Jennifer Aniston, doesn't want to be with him anymore, mostly because he is so conceited that she wants to dump him. So he gets really angry with God and challenges him. So in this film, the awesome Morgan Freeman plays God and comes to Bruce and tells him that he can be God for one week. So Bruce becomes God, abuses his power, and does a lot of stupid tricks, of course, having the power of God within him now. And then gets annoyed that he can hear all the voices of everyone praying inside of his head. So Bruce, being the lazy, self-serving person he is, grants everyone's prayers like a genie, like their wishes, and just says yes to everybody. And of course the world goes crazy because everyone is getting exactly what they want. So Bruce comes crying to God, and that's where we'll take a look at this clip. I need your help! Clap on! Clap on! Clap on! Clap on! Clap on! Figures! Well, hello there, Bruce Almighty. (laughs) Not as easy as it looks, is it, son? This God business. They're all out of control. It's mayhem. I I don't know what to do. Well, you're right on time. Seven o'clock. Seventh at seven. All righty then. There we are. It's good. Good. <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. No matter how filthy something gets, you could always clean it right up. There were so many. I just gave them all what they wanted. Yeah. But since when does anyone have a clue about what they want? So what do I do? Parting your soup is not a miracle, Bruce. It's a magic trick. A single mom who's working two jobs and still finds time to take her kid to soccer practice, that's a miracle. A teenager who says no to drugs and yes to an education, that's a miracle. People want me to do everything for them, and what they don't realize is they have the power. You want to see a miracle, son? Be the miracle. So I apologize that he was wearing a Yankees hat. I myself am a Mariners fan, but um, I do love Morgan Freeman. Um, I love how Morgan Freeman, as God says, no matter how filthy something gets, you can always clean it up. In the end of the film, Bruce is upset um, with how he previously lived his life, and so God teaches him how to pray. 
That's my favorite part of this film is I love that instead of Bruce um, suddenly having a realization and now trying to learn how to live the perfect Christian life, that instead he goes and prays. And so Bruce starts praying, not just for anything, but for edifying things, not things that will make him happy. And in the end, realizes that God is in control and that his life isn't so terrible. Of course, this movie is a dramatization, but um, and not at all uh, nonfiction, but I think it has a very um, sweet message. So let's get back at the text. Um, this time I've underlined the four points that I just want to go over to kind of break this text down. Um, the first underlined part, times of refreshing. We aren't always supposed to suffer, but in order to be refreshed, it says to go repent and turn to God so that refreshing might start. We have to first acknowledge our worldly ways, the ways in which we are more about our own story than God's story, just like how Jim Carrey's character was. The second underlying part, for God to restore everything. The truth about God is, God is a redeeming God. Not only does he want to refresh you once you start letting him, he wants to completely restore everything. Completely restore everything about you. The last two weeks here at the end, um, if you've been here or if you haven't, we've been looking at about um, two weeks ago, the truths about Jesus, and this last week, the truths about the Holy Spirit. And now the last part of that trinity is God. Do you believe those truths about God, though? Do you believe that God doesn't want you to suffer? That God wants you to turn to him so he can begin restoring you? That you don't have to go on a mission trip for God to open your eyes? You can let him do that right here, this weekend, at home, Thanksgiving break. Um, Author C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, of course, talks about um, this exact thing in his book, Miracles. And so I just wanted to show... A little verse from that book. Um, Nothing we can yet do enables us to imagine its complete healing. What is C.S. Lewis saying? I think he's trying to show us that our complete healing and restoration is unfathomable, partly because we are so far from it. For me, this gives me intense freedom. As hard as I might try, I will never be fully restored here on earth. I will never be perfect. And God knows that. For me, that is one of the most exciting things about God. Freedom. God knows you more than you allow yourself or anybody else to know you. And he still loves you so incredibly much, even though he knows all the things about you. I feel more freedom from God than any person or friend because I know I am going to let people down. As wonderful as my boyfriend is, I let him down and he lets me down. I let my parents down, and they definitely let me down. So many people have let me down, and I have disappointed them. And for me, that has taken away some freedoms. I think that we see children as so free to say and do whatever they want because they don't feel society or adults' pressure yet to behave or do things in a certain way. God is none of that. However well-intentioned or not your parents might be, we as humans limit people's freedom, and healthy abandonment. We see ourselves in our own eyes and the eyes of others and cut ourselves down and get scared. But if we could see ourselves through God's eyes, we would see that we absolutely matter. Not just when we succeed or love others, but always, that we always matter. 
that God has a plan to completely restore everything in you, more than any person, including yourself, can. Can you even imagine that someday I won't suffer from anxiety to prove myself to others or myself anymore? That my sister, who's going through chemo treatment, won't suffer from cancer anymore? For me, the saddest part about my sister having cancer right now isn't that she has cancer, which may seem odd. The saddest part of me is what it's doing to her spirit. She's so depressed and upset about everything that there's almost nothing in her that sees any kind of redemption happening out of this. Where in your life are you aching for that restoration to begin? Not with yourself, but letting God restore you. Is it that you can't stop eating instead of starting your path towards health? You matter and God wants to redeem your life. Are you blacking out, getting so drunk that you can't, you're not even coherent as to what is going on in your life during that time? And so hungover the next day that you just want to curl over and die? That used to be me, but I matter. You matter. God has something more joyful for you, something better. Something more joyful than the glitz and glamour of being the most intoxicated person on a Thursday night. Let's go to the third point on our verses. You must listen to everything he tells you. Now, this might seem intimidating at first, but I think this is an especially important part, uh, point for college students before we haul, fall into this habit in our adult lives. We can't pick and choose what we want to hear or know about God in the Bible. In order to be redeemed, we have to acknowledge that our own ways aren't restorative. They can be for a short while, but we must look at God's story and not ours. We have the chance to be on the road to healing. I'm on my own road of healing out of living the ways I have chosen and listening instead to God's ways now. I live with a chronic pain and I don't quit. I may slip or fall. I actually do quite often, ask anybody who knows me. But I don't quit. I am dying to have God continue to redeem and restore my life, which feeds into our very last point. Looking at the last underlined part. First, God wants to turn each and every single one of us, literally every single person in this room, into redeemed persons. Whether you're 19 years old sitting up at the front thinking that this is far too lofty a proposition to do right now or well into your adulthood, standing at the back of this room. Consumed with debt, disorders, guilt, anything, God wants to turn you, me, away from our wicked ways, our inabilities, our laziness, our weakness, our hurt and our pain, and instead show you that God is a God of redemption and restoration. He is not judging you for what you've done so far. People may have judged you. Every day, probably. But God wants to see you heal, not feel more pain. Strength is restored when hope is restored. Strength is restored when hope is restored. God wants you to come clean and confess your iniquities and your wicked ways and begin on the road to redemption. You've got to acknowledge where you're at. Your disorder, your ailment, your size, your age, your own stubbornness or ignorance is not too great for God. Let him in. Cry out to him to do a good, healthy, restorative work in you. Let's pray. Lord, 
Please heal me, Lord. Continue in me to transform me into a good work. I pray that we see that we have fallen, but that Jesus already paid that price. So we must only come to God in order to be made into a new creation. Lord, help us to understand that we have been born into certain situations or that we are living with hurtful things and we crave to become something new through you. Lord, especially for those sitting there feeling alone or especially broken tonight, that you would make it known to them that they matter, even if they don't matter to this world. Let us hear this message and realize it is good news, God. You're giving us freedom, and that is desperately what we need. Lord, as we go into this Thanksgiving weekend, I pray that you would help us. For some of us, this will be a relaxing, rejuvenating time, and for some of us, this might be a time in which we need you even more. Lord, hear us. We thank you. We are so thankful for you. Amen.